0: up your nose with a rubber
1: with a rubber hose thou shalt go up it that was a shakespearean thing i believe
0: (laughs) hello and welcome to mount rushmore my name is jeff and i'm joined as always by my good buddies richard hello and michael howdy you know a wise man once said a setback is a setup for a comeback today we're going to talk about those who have been then they have been gone then they've been back again. And this was Michael's choice. Why did you choose it? Uh, I chose it because, you know, I think that the, the either the underdog story
2: is always really nice, um, but I also like the idea of someone being, like you said, on top of on top of the world, you know, and then, you know, having fell and then having to come all the way back.
0: Yeah. I do, and, I do feel like it's weird about, we live in Los Angeles, and the only crime you can have here is to not be famous. Hmm. And I feel like that's, the amazing judge the judgmental society that we live in like you could be happy but nobody gives a fuck about that but if you have had and then you have not then you're a complete loser idiot <laughs> <laughs> i think there's an
2: interesting thing about comebacks too it seems to be like a repeating motif for some people and maybe we'll we'll talk about that a little later on too okay. but like sometimes it's there are there are like the tom hankses of the world Who's never had to have a comeback? Yeah. Right. He has just been such this constant state of Tom Hanksiness yeah. from you know 1980 until now that there's never been a moment where he's
1: faltered. What was the closest? Probably Joe versus the volcano, which is a great movie. Which is like immediately followed by like Big or something. Yeah,
2: right? yeah. It's like he has this weird sort of like. I
0: guess that's the one that you could have been like, oh my god, what was he thinking? But you yeah. go back and watch it now. And I wonder of... if he actually felt bad because. Two years in a row, he won the Best Actor Oscar, and the next year, he didn't win the Best Actor Oscar. What a loser. What a shitty time for him. <laughs> <laughs> Needed to come
1: back after that, boys. Yeah.
2: But then, so so I guess that's how I initially approached it, mm-hmm. um, but you can kind of apply this across a kind of broad spectrum of not just,
1: you know, the movies,
0: but, yeah. uh, you know, any, yeah. anything and everything. All right. Well, uh, uh, Michael, you chose the topic, so Richard, you start.
1: I'm a little screwed up here, guys, because I have the Mount Rushmore of, of comebacks. Like, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> oh, shoot. So I'm going to... You're going you to need to give me about five minutes. Well, so. are, they, are these all your mama jokes? Yeah, they're all pretty much. Oh. I'm going to have to make a comeback here then, because... Uh,
0: I know you are. Oh, up your nose. With a rubber.
1: With a rubber hose. Thou shalt shout, go... It. twice that was a Shakespearean thing, I believe. <laughs> so, no, seriously, my first uh pick is a, I actually have categories this week. Ooh. Ooh. I haven't had categories oh. from either of us by a while. Style. Um, one is political comebacks, mm. one is musical comebacks, yep, one is posthumous comebacks, yep, and one is failed comebacks. Mm-mm.
0: Wait, so that sounds like two comebacks and then two not comebacks. If you're dead, no, you're, it's no, failed, it, no, it's a comeback if you die. You, just, just Jeff. How about you? How about you? You let me. I'll do the roll thing with first. the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I am trying to be more contentious. I am the judge that ever never just says overruled. Let me, <laughs> let me.
1: We'll get to it. I think you'll. I think. I think I can make my case. Right, I like that Jeff tried to gavel you down, and I then you are like, gavel. "Let me get that gavel out of here." You are out of you are out of order. Oh, this just- all system's out of order. <laughs> so, um, let's start with the uh, political political comeback, and that would be Richard Milhouse Nixon. Mm, okay, Milhouse. I don't know. Now our second worst president, right? Yeah. yeah, that's
0: funny.
2: By like a long, like he's like he's in his grave, just being like, "Woo!" Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh my Him god. Him and Chester
1: Arthur are like
2: <laughs> glad I <laughs> dodged that one. Thank you.
1: I mean, you're talking you're talking about somebody who um, narrowly lost the presidency in 1960, yeah, basically because. On TV, he sweated a lot and had a five o'clock shadow. God, it was so nice back then. <laughs> Wasn't it? When that was the thing that could could determine an election.
0: Your telegenic-ness <laughs> was, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and then in, in 1962, loses the election for California uh, governorship to the incumbent uh, Edmund Brown, father of Jerry Brown, who I almost thought of as a political choice that also oh, would yeah. have been a really good one. Yeah um and basically gives the uh, you won't have uh, Richard Nixon to kick around anymore speech after 62 um he was actually favored up until election night most people thought he was going to win a narrow narrow election and he wound up losing by like 5 points mm-hmm. and so very bitterly gets up there and just basically says this going to be the last press conference I'm ever going to give and you know you won't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore Richard Nixon noted liar <laughs> occasionally and then six years later, he's winning in a landslide for president, wow. and is re-elected in a landslide in, in seventy-two.
2: It's amazing how rarely that happens, especially nowadays. Once, kind of, once you get tainted with the whiff of being a loser, at least politically, right? You're just like, you know, Hillary tried it this last year, and it just just clung to her like a stink. Yeah, mm-hmm. it probably couldn't. It probably couldn't. People had shorter memories, or different memories, or they forgave a lot or easier. You were, yeah,
1: you were allowed to like make to not win you just, you, you, it wasn't like I think the 24 hour news cycle it's just like yeah if you don't win you have been in the spotlight for X number of years yeah and it's all for not so go away and let somebody else uh, I, have their turn yeah I mean, and obviously uh, Nixon's elected and everything goes great and he gets his uh, two terms and wait hold on a second is that not how that <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting reports here that may not have been how it actually <laughs> turned out Um but yeah, I mean he basically you know after 62 he says he's not going to be involved in politics, you know, as a candidate, goes and works at a law firm and but basically spends all his time um campaigning for GOP candidates around the country and builds up this sort of base, builds up the base and builds up their sort of not just approval of him but also mm-hmm. A lot of ways, owing him a favor. Oh, okay. hmm. so that when he decides to run in '68, he's the candidate who's got the backing of the the machine,
0: yeah. so to speak. Um, and yeah, I mean, it. You know, he, didn't he also say anything he wanted to, and he rapped and stuff like that? And he was kind of no, that's <laughs> yeah, okay, Bullworth. Yeah, Bullworth
1: <laughs> previously discussed shitty movie, secretly shitty movie. <laughs> but yeah, just Nixon is the ultimate, I think, example of someone who we all that not we, but that as Americans, we should have figured it out and we kept figuring it out, and then we kept let, letting him kind of get in the back door. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, there you've got Nixon in '68. Yeah. yeah, how this happen? Well, it's if only there were some parallels to uh to today.
2: It's one of those things where you think of you know, maybe we got it right the first time, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We, how'd you come on, guys? Yeah, you you didn't
1: you kept him from being president,
2: and now here he is again,
1: right? You kept him from, from being governor, even, yeah. I mean, come on, guys. It, He's like best three out of five, and uh, but I also think part of it is just the idea that that sort of having been kicked around kind of built up this Callous? yeah, callous or built up this uh this feeling of being put upon. Mm-hmm. You know, after this six, you know, after the sixty two uh, gubernatorial race, he complained that the media was didn't didn't treat him favorably. Hmm, Sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, but it just sort of like it built up this sort of bitterness and sort of hostility to the, to everything else that was around him that wound up being the catalyst, not only for how he, you know, was elected in 68, but Watergate basically was just him being paranoid and not trusting anything outside of his increasingly Uh, small mm -hmm. sphere. Yeah. The parallels
2: are pretty creepy and weird thinking about Trump today. They say that the, uh, white house correspondence dinner the one where, uh, uh, Obama basically just tore apart Trump was the thing that kind of set the wheels in motion for this person that that basically declared himself that he was gonna get his own revenge because he was just he was just so torn apart and and because of how bad the president made him look publicly oh wow yeah. well, I mean you know Trump spent years with the, the whole birtherism nonsense and mm-hmm. then that seemed to be the catalyst. Of him just like tearing him apart and making yeah. fun of him, that was just like, well, now I'm, now I'm going to actually run for president. Cool. And,
0: Michael, go for it. Uh, so in
2: 1991, uh, I went to England for six weeks. Why'd you come back? <laughs> uh, you I was, still have an accent. That's right. I was. Uh,
1: what's all with this? <laughs> Hello. What's all this Then with the podcast?
2: Uh, I was 12 years old and had a miserable time. Um, that's all set up for, as soon as I got off the plane, when I came back to LA, uh, my dad said, did you know that Pee Wee Herman was arrested for <laughs> masturbation in a Florida theater? <laughs> and it was such like a strange, like we're going to dinner. Wait, how, how old were you when this happened? I was 12. Ooh. And it was just such a weird thing. It was like, Her- I don't know, if, I don't think he said the word masturbation, but he was like, uh, Pee Wee Herman was arrested for playing with himself in like an adult <laughs> theater. And it's just like, Huh. Well, back to California. <laughs> I so leave this my- country for five minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, my first choice is the comeback of Pee Wee Herman. Oh, wow. And he, I think he went about it in a very smart way in that he was arrested for doing something that was pretty despicable, especially for a children's television. Yeah. You know, uh, it's not that despicable in the hindsight of things, in that he was in an adult. There's
1: a lot worse things. Yes, in in the grand scheme of
2: things. Yes, uh, but being who he was and being a, a you know a children's star basically, um, it was just the. Kind of the end of the world for a yeah. few weeks. Yeah, but the greatest thing that he did was uh, make fun of himself and own up to it almost immediately. Oh, at the MTV uh, yeah.
1: Music Awards, or I think it was. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was like the
2: movie awards, and he came out and he just said, "heard any good jokes lately?" Yeah, and then you know, did a so funny I forgot to laugh sort of thing, and he he kind of owned it, and then laid low for a long time. It was yeah. almost in the same way that uh, who is the, that? There's a British uh, comedian, uh, Hugh Hugh Grant. Who uh, was, was arrested for yeah. for picking up a, a, a transvestite hooker? Yeah, and then like you know, within a couple of days, went on Jay Leno and was like said he basically said I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and then it never really stuck to him. It's the yeah. it's the people that can't get away from their scandals that they just kind of are defined mm-hmm. by them. But with Pee Wee, he just for a few years went on to make to be to have like really tiny roles in other films, like he was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right, and he was in Batman. Returned. Yeah. And oh, he, he was, was, wasn't he? He played the Joker's dad. Yeah. And he had like this. He was like he played a really strange character in Mystery Men, mm-hmm. and he just had these little, small, non peewee roles for you know many years, and then eventually it was like 2007, he started dressing as peewee again and doing things, and yeah. then in 2010 he had like a big the Broadway uh, show. Broadway yeah. show. He had like a new peewee's peewee's you know Playhouse sort of show. Yeah. And then last year, or I guess maybe two years ago now, he had his uh like his Netflix yeah. like the next Pee-Wee movie, and yeah. like all of the sins of whatever he was accused of and whatever he did are kind of just forgotten, and he kind of came back and is now like, you know, 60-something-year-old Paul Rubin, yeah. still now doing Pee Wee Herman, but it's no one really cares. And mm-hmm. he kind of Sure, it's strange that a man still dresses up as like a you know <laughs> in this man child persona, but he got back from that. Yeah. Which is I think this is what ultimately was the first thing I thought of yeah. when I was I was thinking of this category.
0: What what why do you think he's back? Is it because time has separated us from it? Or so many people are so more horrible than Paul Rubens yeah. masturbating in a movie theater? <laughs>
2: uh, I I honestly think it's it's not that people have done worse things. I think time has been very kind to him and that he kind of allowed a generation to grow up and be okay with it. Yeah. Like, you know, that this if this happened in ninety one, where this is almost thirty years later, mm-hmm. twenty seven years later, and people like that maybe it is maybe it is that it's not as bad as you think it is. Yeah. I
1: mean, look at Fred Willard. He got caught basically doing the exact same thing and Oh, he did. It was sort of embarrassing. Yeah, I was like up here in the, on a uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Uh-huh. I believe it was the the Tiki Symposium the Theater. Wow. Not that I would know the name of the place, but I'm just <laughs> saying. I think that's where it was. And if you if you mention me, by the way, you get a two dollar <laughs> discount off the cover. No, um, but I, that was yeah. He got it was like two three years that's ago, right. and it was just he said, "Whoops, sorry," and moved along. He moved along. Nobody gave a crap. I think he lost like one gig. Yeah, It was like, that was it. I don't think so. Oh, my widow wed. I pulled
0: out my widow wed wagon. (laughs) The Hugh Grant one, I was convinced, was a PR move. Because I think he... I may have said this on the podcast before. I believe he played all the the foppish British twits he could. And that he he was one thing. um, And the one thing he wasn't was sexy. And that now he does this thing. He's now a bad boy. And now he's got a whole... range of scripts that he can do now nobody agrees with me i'm well, trying to well, think Jeff,
1: of I, I i i you know that the thing that oh maybe that he could have uh, he's here a... maybe, maybe maybe say it, but it's, sequel
0: five weddings <laughs> and seven funerals <laughs> and a career funeral okay so um you're next richard all right so my next choice is the musical comeback
1: yeah that would be uh elvis presley yeah it's on my list it's too. on your list i kind of figured right. this would be the one that we'd both have and very specifically the uh, Comeback Special, which actually, of course, wasn't called the Comeback Special. Mm-hmm. That'd be a little It's It was just called awkward. Elvis. It was like Elvis, yeah. It, yeah. Which I did not know until doing the research here was actually supposed to be a Christmas special. Oh. That was originally what uh, Colonel Tom Parker had pitched it as. Mm-hmm. But the producer said, well, instead of doing this, Elvis, why don't you just start sing, sing, singing some of the songs from your back catalog? And that was sort of the catalyst, not only for the episode, for the... The special, which wound up being a huge hit, mm-hmm. but then the his next album, which is uh, Elvis from Memphis, where he basically got, to, in a lot of ways, it, it's it's sort of the bridge between his early to mid '60s rock and roll sound with what you would eventually get in the '70s. So it's kind of like this combination of the two, mm-hmm. you know. This, uh, you know, Chips Malman, who was an engineer at Stax Record for a long time. Um, was the producer of this. So it had that kind of Stax soul vibe to it, but it also had strings and things like that, which mm-hmm. kind of push him more towards what the sound would be like in the 70s. Um, and it's a fantastic album. It's The album's got uh, In the Ghetto, mm-hmm. um, written by Mac Davis. Um, Suspicious Minds, which was not on the album, but was uh, recorded at the same time. was a huge hit for him by his last, one or two, one or two of his last big hits. And it's just that it's we talked about I I know we talked about this in the Elvis uh, episode that we did a Mm. few episodes Mm -hmm. ago. But it is the it might be the iconic Elvis look if you're actually in shape enough to pull it off.
2: Right. Yeah. (laughs) I
1: thought was what
2: was interesting about the comeback special was why he needed to come back. I mean, he was 33. It's not like he was past his prime. He is in theory in the prime of being, you know, a. Sex, sexual, uh, pop icon, mm-hmm. but you know he'd spent six years after leaving the military, basically making travelogues, kind, kind of garbage movies, yeah. and his you know his recording career wasn't really going anywhere. He he had kind of missed and been outdone by the British invasion, yeah, and been outdone by a more psychedelic uh, '60s and free love and the hippies and well, harder rock sound, also. yeah, and. He he kind of uh became very like antagonistic to that as well, to the drug use and the experimentation and you know, it's it's weird to think of Elvis as someone that suddenly uh is the person that you're like your dads listened to. Yeah. And it seemed like he was he had kind of turned into that. Um by his military career and by making these travel films right. when, you know, 10 years before, he was the person that, oh my God, he's shaking his hips and you you can't- Mr. Swiveling hips, man. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't show this to children. Children can't listen to this rock and roll and it's the devil's music and all of a sudden it's like he is now the person that uh, parents are okay mm-hmm. with, yeah.
0: with all of a sudden. That's fascinating. I think that time, nobody knew how long rock and roll was going to be a thing and it evolved so quickly. Think how many times- bands like the beatles evolved rock so here's a guy who is going back to its musical roots of rockabilly and chuck berry and stuff and that was only four years ago yeah it's so amazing but people probably thought this rock and roll thing was going to be something that was going to be over within a year anyhow i fascinated that this is your next pick because um i've become enamored of this producer from back in the day named steve bender Right, who produced the uh, and comeback? Special, and produced right? and produced Pee Wee's Playhouse. Are you kidding? I oh, yeah. no, did not know that part. So, that's funny. We, yeah, weird, weird. Uh, um, Try to find a through career. line between yeah, those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also <laughs> said, lacked black hair. I guess it does does remind me of what you need to have a comeback, and sometimes you need um, a tragedy that happens. It seems that it comes from outside or inside. And in case of Pee Wee, you know, would were he not arrested, would he have ever been able to branch out and not be branded? As anything other than Pee-wee, could he be Paul Rubens if he hadn't been arrested? Mm. And so, in a way, Pee-wee got arrested. Paul Rubens was free to do these character bits and stuff that he'd done before. That's interesting. And then Ooh. Steve Bender was the one who told Elvis, "You, you're in a rut. Your movies are horrible." Yeah. You, he, he pulled him away from Colonel Tom and worked with him on the idea of the show, stripping down all the artifice. Uh, Colonel Parker wanted all that stuff, and he pulled him away from that. Because he's he was twenty three or twenty you know twenty four at the time, so he was able to give was him he that young. He, he was twenty three when he did the Tammy show, so I think that was in sixty five. Oh my God, sixty five or something like that. So he might this been, El, is this Elvis? No, this, Steve oh, oh, okay. this Bender, producer sorry. Steve Bender. So he he might have been twenty six years old, but he was definitely younger than any Hollywood person that Elvis had ever listened to. Definitely younger than Tom Colonel Tom. Sure. Uh, so you need somebody to tell you the truth that your career's right. in the shitter because Elvis surrounded himself with all these guys who were just yes men who were just on his uh, payroll. So, right. Of course. Well, that's a really um, interesting pick. So, speaking of comebacks, we're gonna come back, but we're going to tell you about the things you can do to help spread the gospel of the Mount Rushmore podcast, and that is to go to the iTunes box and download, rate, and review all of our past episodes. Or just rate and review. Or just leave a review. And just tell people what you think. Um, We've had reviews like pretty good. So if you can do as good or better than that, we thank you. You could also go to the Facebook page and interact with us. Leave a suggestion for a topic. Leave your opinion about some of the shows that we've done. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Come back. We're back. Michael and Richard agreed on the second choice. So now we're going to go with Michael's third choice. Uh, My third choice is...
2: Since this kind of has so far applied pretty broadly to um, music and applied to, uh, I guess, an iconic TV character, I included sports, a sports pick. And right. mine is, uh, and in this last year, calendar year, or I guess in this full year, there have been a lot of like big comebacks, whether it was the Patriots in the Super Bowl coming back or whether it was the. Uh, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers came back right. to do something. Sheboygan shenanigans. Oh, the Chicago Cubs was the other one. Of baseball. Of baseball. Um, but I chose the 2004 ALCS uh, Boston Red Sox comeback against the New York Yankees when they were down 3 nothing.
1: Blatantly appealing to the Bill Simmons crowd here.
2: Listen, if we can tag Bill Simmons on here. That would be great. That would be awesome. Wait. Get one minutia of his audience isn't
0: awesome. ALCS a horrible disease <laughs> <laughs> to come back from that yeah that's a please donate
2: <laughs> to Mount Rushmore just send us an email well, is a
0: sports comeback harder
2: than an entertainment comeback or I, this was one of those that had never been done before they were they were losing in the championship series games 3 to nothing
1: out of a best of 7 series and that so the math means they were in trouble it, yeah. According to math. According to math and according to history. And the fact that no one had, no team had ever come back from
2: 3-0. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what's kind of a kicker was that in game three, they lost that game 19-8. to oh, So wow. it wasn't just like that they were down 2 nothing. In the game three, the one that was like the this dagger game, they got like killed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, game four, they came back in extra innings to win a game. So they're down 3-1. Um, And that was the one where, uh, you know, they talked about, it's been talked about that there was like this very pivotal moment where a pinch runner was put in at just the right time and a ground ball got
1: through. Doyer's manager,
2: Dave Roberts. Oh, that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he came around to score the ultimately, I can't can't remember if that was the tying run. I think that was the the tying tying run run in the ninth, right? And yeah, and then they ultimately came back to win that game. So, okay, they're down three to one. The next game was at that point... Game five, and it ended up being the longest game in MLB history of being five hours and forty nine minutes, oh, and it was a fourteen inning game that ended with like some some. There's like a rain delay there, wasn't there at some I, point?
1: I don't remember. I don't know about that, but it was like was there a streaker that came on the field? <laughs> maybe did a, a fan man come on? we <laughs> got
2: Morgana, Morgana, <laughs> the kissing bandit, ran out at eighty years old, but that had like a late inning heroics. Um, by David Ortiz, and then Game Six, same sort of thing, um, and by Game Seven, they just—I guess the Yankees backs were broken, and they the Red Sox kind of clobbered them. But it's that's probably why they made the comeback. Their backs were broken. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Why? I chose this one versus other picks is like um, they actually went on to win the World Series, and they swept the Cardinals, and like whatever mojo had happened. Yeah, they kind of flipped that switch, and it was you know it broke an 86 year, uh, you know World Series win streak, Mm -hmm. and you know it kind of destroyed the famed curse of the Bambino. Yeah, and there was a whole lot of history that was wrapped up in it being not just a comeback for the series itself but it seemed for like that franchise and Mm -hmm. that city or whatever
1: and and the Yankees had been their nemesis throughout most of this I mean we talked several times the Yankees had beaten them to either go to the World Series or keep the Red Sox out of the playoffs or something the year before the two teams had
2: met and the Yankees in like the bottom of the 11th inning had won on a home run Uh. to knock them out so it's like this was like their kind of revenge against them Mm -hmm. and uh it just seemed to be one of the most Poignant sort of sports type comebacks and what it yeah. meant for for them as a team. Oh well, I mean I can't stand them, and they can go to hell now. But <laughs> yeah. know, right, whatever.
0: Was this the year that they, they did the Jimmy Fallon Drew Barrymore movie that was about the failed? Yes, Red Sox? yeah, that's a
2: good pull. Yeah, it is, and they, uh, they
0: they didn't plan it that it was
1: it was supposed to be like a I, fever I I think pitch. think they were. I think yeah, which is based on a. It's supposed to be about soccer. Oh, by the way. Ben, ben Elton, was that one of the British... Uh, it's Nick Hornby. I, Nick yeah, Hornby, I think okay. Yeah, yeah, he wrote it. I think they even have a... There's a British movie version of it with Colin Firth, I believe. Oh, okay. But yeah, I think that in in the adaptation, they had the Red Sox winning the World Series, but they shot it like before the World Series. So they yeah. had no way of knowing yeah. that the Red Sox are actually going to win the World Series. Mm-hmm.
2: I think they ulti- maybe I ultimately... Mean, Is that right? I think that's right. They might have actually filmed during the...
1: Or maybe that's it. Like they were, I don't know. Who cares? It's a shitty uh, Jimmy Fallon movie. <laughs> I've now spent more, more time talking about a Jimmy Fallon movie than I ever thought I would. Yeah, never, never mind. Who cares, everybody? Look it up on Google. Why don't you Google it? Why don't you Google, Google, Google it? it? Richard. All right. right. So my second choice, or third choice, let me take that back. My third choice, this is the contentious one, I believe, and this is the posthumous. Context. I object. Overruled. Okay. How did that just <laughs> how happen? How did that happen? Um, and this is Michael Jackson. And let oh. me explain this to you. And actually, this was actually Sarah's suggestion. So if you'd like me to call her on the phone, we can patch her in. Guy brings like,
0: his wife into the <laughs> argument. I like these. You
1: punch me, you're punching a girl.
0: Exactly. I like. I like that he's laying
2: it
1: on his wife right here. Yeah. Don't blame yeah, me. Much, yeah, she did it. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> I saw. I saw it on Fox News. Fake news. My wife is fake news. <laughs> no, and we were talking about it, and she brought up the point that when Michael Jackson died. Nobody liked like like, like yeah. he was persona non grata, right? Mm-hmm. Like he hadn't made an album in you no know, six years, whatever yeah. it was. Um, he was a weirdo pedophile. Yeah, he was a weirdo pedophile who had like fifty foot tall statues of himself, like made, and thought that he was some sort of like Eastern European dictator, yeah. and like yeah, it was it was toxic. And then he died, and then everyone kind of just forgot about it all yeah. that, and it stuck. And now Michael Jackson's legacy is of this. Musical genius made all these, made, made music to people that transformed the music industry and his artistry and his talent and yeah. his, all this stuff. We don't talk about the bad stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's easier now to kind of yeah. push that aside when he's not alive. Mm-hmm. It's and easier. he's not like a person who's there that you have to like contrast it against.
2: It's easier too, but I think that's, I think for him, that stuff lingers in the same way that it. I don't know, it just doesn't... It doesn't with some people that have apologized and admitted their sins. I, I, I understand what you're saying, and it's, I think it's an, it's a fine pick. I think that there, When you're writing the Michael Jackson biography, I think that there's still too much in that, like, ooh, there's so much left. Yeah. Unre- well, the, I think by, there's an
1: unresolvedness well, I think, of yeah. his life. Oh, sure. I mean, I think in the... If you were looking at the sum of his life, absolutely. But if you're just taking it on a very... Sort of visceral. You know, I I hear a lot more Michael Jackson songs on the radio now than I did mm-hmm. ten years ago. Yeah, and I think partially it's a, it's it's like the Saturday. You ever see the Saturday Night Live skit with uh, Dana Carvey where he's like playing his like kind of dumb songwriter chopping broccoli? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, okay, and they come to him and basically suggest that he dies <laughs> because it's as a, as a career move. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's the, uh, the the line about Elvis. Yeah, Someone, it's supposed to be John Lennon or somebody. Hears that Elvis dies, and he just says, "Great career, great career, great move. career move." So it, it kind of, it, mm-hmm. to me, I just feel like that's what actually to Sarah to put this on her. To her, <laughs> it just it, it really is though. It's something yeah. where I think the fact that he died makes it makes it easier for people to go, "Oh God, I love Billy Jean." Mm-hmm. And Bad was really a good album. Yeah. There's a lot of good songs on I, that.
0: I will add to that narrative in the timeline. There was all this stuff. There was the salacious trial and the camp of people of journalists who were parked out reporting on it, and the comedians joking about it on late night television. And then his um, acquittal, I think. Right. And then there was an amount of understanding that wasn't uh, being meted out to every individual. Yeah, there was there was a nuanced understanding, especially after all those TV specials especially after Creepy Joe Jackson gets up and says and uses the funeral of his son as a platform to announce a recording artist. Oh that he sure, was, yeah. You know, so we realize Michael Jackson was a very uh, unusual person who led a horrible childhood and yeah. yeah. He's
1: he, it's easier to view him as sort of a victim himself. When yeah. He's no longer there to to have, to look at and say, oh yeah, what's your, your face? Yeah. And now you you're white and yeah and there's all these things you've been accused of. Mm-hmm. When, you, when he's not there anymore, yeah. it's easier, I think, to make him kind of a victim of, like it's, you said, this shitty childhood and all this weird stuff that he had happen.
2: It's uh, it's easier to kind of uh, sand over the rough edges, so to speak, when someone's not constantly yeah. moving the table on you.
1: And, and, and to take a current example, we are uh, recording this the weekend that Chuck Berry has passed away. And again, it's one of those things where it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can celebrate the music, and I'm I'm sure that I'm going to hear Chuck Berry when I put on the old East station when I drive out, drive home today. Um, but there's a lot of rough edges with Chuck Berry. Yeah, there's a lot of not so cool stuff that was happening. Hmm. But it's just time sort of wipes uh, that away, and especially if someone who dies. let me put it this way: he he was when when Michael Jackson died, he was rehearsing for that the the final tour. Of this is it. If he did hadn't have died, he just came out and did the tour. What would the reaction have been to that tour? Some people would have really loved it. I'm sure people, other people, have been boycotting or you know protesting. And a lot of other people would have said, "Oh, I don't give a shit. It's just Michael Jackson, 2008 or nine, whatever. I don't care." Yeah,
2: it would have had an amazing
1: response in Brazil. Yeah, exactly. People in Poland would have gone kind of batshit mm-hmm. for it. But you know, yeah, now we look at it and it's like, boy, wouldn't it have been great if we could have seen that?
0: Okay, uh, Michael, what's your final choice?
1: Uh, Richard, you
2: mentioned a uh, posthumous sort of return. I have a really big comeback.
1: Oh, I think I know where you're going here.
2: Big J-Man. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, wow. He made the ultimate comeback, really, really? for our sins.
1: I actually thought you were going to say Resputin, but that's... J- J- <laughs> J-C's, <laughs> all- JC's also a good one.
2: Uh, you know,
1: that's pretty good when you can come back and then, like, hang around. Allegedly.
2: Yeah, and then uh, hang around for 40 days and then be like... You know what? Peace out. Ghost. I'm gone. Yeah. I got another comeback in me. We'll see when that happens. He might make this list twice if we if we end up doing like a redo of this uh, yeah. Rushmore. I don't
1: you think never I'll know. Be, I, the well, end times might be coming, and we'll all three of us will probably be still around to
0: record the uh, next <laughs> session. So maybe this podcast will come out on Easter anyway. So oh,
2: oh. did I time it right? I probably <laughs> probably did not. didn't.
0: Uh, I'm not
2: super religious. So I really had to read up on yeah. on oh, yeah, you know, the know resurrection yeah. of Jesus Christ, but mm-hmm. it honestly, in all joking aside, I was really going to put zombies on here. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? Let's be a little uh...
0: the original zombie. That's
2: right. Jesus Christ the original <laughs> zombie. Uh I like I didn't grow up reading the Bible. I went to a a, a non-religious Sunday school. Yeah. I went to If Todd McFarlane wrote the Bible, <laughs> Uh, Jesus's eyes were huge And he had that spaghetti <laughs> Slobbering and, and, he, and he had the spaghetti uh, webbing Which was really cool When Jesus would start whipping people with his spaghetti webbing That's ridiculous But you know uh, Wait, you did go to Sunday school? I, yeah, I went to uh, It was school, it was on Sunday <laughs> So I went to like a Unitarian church As a child For many years But ultimately, I think it was just a place for my mom and dad to drop me off on a Sunday so they could go work out at the gym. And that's 100% true. It was, like, from 10 to 12 that, like, I would go to church and, like, kind of learn about the Bible, sort of. But mostly I'd play, like, G.I. Joe and He-Man on, like, In the Bushes with my friend Clark. And then we'd go to, like, McDonald's. So So I don't have, like, I I have, like... and I should have taken like a Bible studies class in college just yeah. so I could pick up on, you know, literature, like yeah. just the literature of the Bible. So like reading about uh, the resurrection of Jesus and him coming back and, you know, it was, I was like, I don't, I literally don't know any of them. I see names and like maybe I'm not
0: helping my case here. Yeah. Yeah. This is not yeah. You feel like Bart spending the night at the Flanders house. right?
2: Um, that's, that's do play like a video game. Uh, so my my house has been under repair for like the last two weeks from rains and our ceiling fell in and all this stuff.
1: And I a had b- b- a flood of b- biblical proportion <laughs> tower of and,
2: frogs. Uh, and I had to get these uh, paint cans that we had downstairs and bring them upstairs for our the guy that's kind of doing some touch-up paint. Mm-hmm. And then I was bringing them be- back downstairs and putting them in the cabinet, and I thought to myself, "Old painty can Ned, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a <some> stupid <laughs> thing that they mocked on The Simpsons of mocking when they had to stay at, stay at their house." And that's so off topic right now. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, uh, Jesus Christ, yeah, son of son of God, right hand of God, came back from being dead. You know, he was in his tomb,
1: and then all of a sudden, yeah. pretty much all I know about about uh, Jesus Christ is based on. The Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> yeah, if it's not a Jesus Christ superstar, then I'm. Mm. <laughs> uh, but
2: but eventually he you know he was resurrected and was kind of did some more things for you know for forty days and then the, he's the he's like I got a bus to catch.
0: I know that's not a creation myth, but like the deities in general usually have a pretty kick ass <laughs> resurrection story. <laughs> usually they go through some transformation. You know, I, fi- I find it interesting that you know it kind of people
2: kind of assume that Jesus was a real person. Like they, yeah. they they tend to believe that he existed and he did good things and he preached good things. Uh, and it's just when he came back where it starts, you know, the history gets yeah. a little iffy. And, you know, at that point Christianity is born and people start believing that he actually is, mm-hmm. is God or a part of God or one in the same yeah. with God. And that's when I, I kind of tune out too. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, that's a heavy choice. So we... It was almost kind of escalated from Elvis to Michael Jackson to God. So well, one was the king of rock and roll, and
1: one was the king of kings. Yeah, right, right. So I one was the king of pop. One was the king of pop. A lot of, of kings. King of pop. All right. King of kings. I I, I can't compete. I, I can't. That's I hope you be you further. Got, Where I hope, do I go from here. I
2: hope the Sacramento Kings yeah. are involved in your sports pick. <laughs> if it, <laughs> if
1: it be the if it was like the Lakers come back against the Kings,
2: maybe maybe it can be, be
1: uh, Is it LeBron James because he's you know, the king. They call him no, the king. True. No, it is not. No. Okay. Will Richard, you my know one? My last one, it is the failed comeback.
2: <laughs> That's right.
1: That's Overruled. right. And it's the, uh, well, we didn't say it had to be good comebacks or great comebacks. We okay. just said comebacks. Come to the bench for a sidebar.
0: Wait, go away from me. I don't want you here anymore.
1: <laughs> and this is the uh, Swedish tennis star Bjorn Borg. Certainly the second most famous Bjorn out yeah. of Sweden ever <laughs> behind one of the guys from ABBA. <laughs> So um, Bjorn Borg, perhaps the greatest tennis player, certainly of the seventy late seven mid to late seventies into the early eighties, the style icon um, copied by Richie Tenenbaum in yeah. the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know Bjorn Borg, and he was won something like I think six, five, six Wimbledon's, five French Opens, was just a dominant player of his era, and was sort of known as. The Iceman, because he loved sh- drinking ice, just chewing it during the, no. <laughs> because he just had this very stoic demeanor on the court and nothing fazed him. He just, whether he lost a point or won a point. And in an era where you had McEnroe and Jimmy Connors and Ilionasti and uh, uh, Vetus Gerolitis, these guys were these big, sort of flamboyant, you know, cursing out umpires and, and yelling at the other players and stuff like that. This was just the ultimate contrast, just this, very like focused, laser focused. I'm going to do my job, and basically, I'm just going to beat you and be very almost boring about it. But it was incredibly effective. Um, winds up retiring in 1982 at the age of 26, which is really the prime for a tennis player. It's you know mid mid to late 20s. You've still got prime prime years left. But he felt burnt out. He had lost to John McEnroe in a couple of uh, Grand Slam finals in a row. And basically, it just felt like, I've been doing this for so long. I am I know I know that I'm not the best player in the world now. Hmm. It's McEnroe. And if I'm not going to be the best player in the world, why should I do this? Packing up his racket and going home. Yeah, pretty much taking off both of his shoes and one of his socks. <laughs> so he goes away for about nine years. Wow. Yeah, leaves leaves sport for nine years. In the meantime... It does all the things that you would expect a
0: hustling illegal badminton game <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> does he come back and they play on laser rackets now <laughs> right <laughs> this game is not what i what i was
1: <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of the problems you would expect from a athlete who that's all he's ever done and then retires at 26 and tries to figure out what the hell he's doing. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, multiple divorces, paternity lawsuits, mm-hmm. alleged cocaine addictions, Whoops. Uh, financial bankruptcy from trying to design his own, uh, have his own uh, uh, clothing line. Tries to sue Star Trek, the
2: next generation.
1: (laughs) That's my, that's my cube. Okay, so interesting about this. But Ernest Borgnine was going by the Borg for a while. (laughs) Interesting that you mentioned that. So in First Contact, there is that line. There's a line when they first, God knows I haven't seen this movie in 20 years, but someone, they mentioned the Borg and someone says, well, that sounds Swedish. And apparently, Ron Moore, one of the co-writers, has said, yes, that line was specifically in there because of Bjorn Borg. That's ridiculous. Like the idea that anyone, that what do you mean? Why, why is that ridiculous? Is it, is it ridiculous sti- that a writer would would reflect back on, make it a little meta joke about someone who is ridiculously popular ten years ago? No, that like two hundred. That a Bjork joke? That that. Or, <laughs> or, bork, 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 or she's bork.
2: Icelandic. It's you? ridiculous that two hundred years in the future there would be any sort of countries or <laughs> that anyone would know who the Swedish are because they'd obviously be That's wiped. That's actually a out. good point. They'd obviously be wiped out of this.
1: But uh, yeah. you, you don't think Swedish meatballs would have. They survived. He survived. I take Especially everything, if I, they're I, take the everything ones. I say back. So he comes back in 1991. decides to come back in 1991, maybe for the money, maybe not. But kind of just comes back after a couple months of training. Doesn't really like do the hardcore sort of training you would expect someone to do. Also decides to come back using his uh, little shitty eight, like, late 70s wooden rackets. Oh, no. This is nineteen ninety-one. We've progressed to the giant graphite you know, rackets with the uh, the heads that are about, you know, five feet wide, Mm -hmm. roughly. And he's still got his little like, you know, Roscoe team, the type of thing you would buy from like the Sears catalog back in nineteen seventy-six. And needless to say, it did not go smoothly. He he I believe he had eleven matches in his comeback and he failed to win a single set in any of his matches. (laughs) And you know, eventually went back and he said, "Well, I'm going to try again with you know, try to pick up the graphite rackets." It still didn't work, mm-hmm. and then just had to like slink back into uh, retirement. Oh wow! And that's even worse to me. That's even worse than. I mean, there are a lot of failed sports comebacks. Like Tiger Woods, right now is in the midst of a really bad failed comeback, where he he's so injured to the point where they're telling him. He had to miss a tournament and stay as horizontal as possible because his back was so bad. Oh, wow. Also staying as horizontal as possible is what got him into the mess in the first place. But but this would be like if Tiger Woods decided to come back or like Jack Nicholas decided to come back at like 65. Yeah. And still want to use like his wooden clubs. Yeah. It's like that. It's like, dude, what are you trying to, to accomplish here? What are you trying to prove? Mm-hmm. And even in interviews years later, he's like, I don't know what I was trying to prove. I was, it was just badness. I don't know why he did that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, and I grew up, I grew up playing tennis. I grew up watching tennis. And I remember when this was happening, thinking this, this is, I'm, you know, I was probably like 15 at the time. This is really odd. Yeah. This can't go well. Yeah. Because a lot of times the comebacks, you still think, oh, wouldn't it be great if so and so could come back? Boy, even, you know, when Magic Johnson came back after HIV uh, diagnosis mm-hmm. a few years later, and he wasn't great, but he had some moments where he was still really good. There were no moments where Bjorn Borg was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was just, it was, it was bad. It yeah. Bad,
0: bad. I think the comebacks are fascinating because the there are almost as many motivations as there are individuals who mount comebacks. But within the realms of entertainment and athletics that we've been discussing, I think there are factors. When you're an athlete, I think you might be motivated by two things, ego um, and money. So I think some in some cases the money's just so good that, yeah that the opportunity to step back in that arena coupled with the fact that these people didn't get to be the heads of their enterprise by having little no or no ego they became like michael J- michael J- Jordan still discusses a comeback when he's interviewed he still thinks he can do that right and that's the drive that got them to the top of their profession in the first place is also the poison that makes it's hard for them to ballot when they should. And, and I
1: think that's what's really fascinating to me about the Bjorn Borg comeback is he didn't seem to have that. Oh. Like like you would think, like, okay, if you had been number one in the world, you go away for nine years, you're gonna mount this comeback, improbable comeback, you would be training for six yeah. months ahead of time. You would make sure you have, you know, the best coaches with you and the best fitness people, and you would have the best equipment. Mm-hmm. And he's just out there being stubborn as hell. Just, nope, I'm going to use my uh, yeah. a shitty wooden racket that I used 10 years ago and I'll be fine. Yeah. And like nope. Pass me
2: a beer.
0: <laughs> yeah, The weirdest film montage, I'm sure, when we see it on oh, the fantastic. cinema. Okay, so I'm just going to quickly uh, p- toss in my choice. And that is um, Robert Downey Jr. Here's a guy who I think uh, was able to succeed because the world changed around him. There are a lot of these people like I think Paul Rubens in which they got toppled off their high horse, but they didn't really c- crawl their way back up. It's just the world kind of changed and rotated around them to the point where whatever mistake they'd made was a little bit more acceptable. Or in the case of Robert Downey Jr., he started finding roles uh, playing flawed people. When you need somebody to play uh, a character like Tony Stark, Iron Man, in the Iron Man franchise, play. Uh, character who has a lot of flaws as a substance abuser has ego has um has been bigger than life and then brought down a peg you can hire an actor that has had all those things happen to him and really you hardly need to write the script or have him say any dialogue right he's already there so that's my choice but um now i'm going to uh kind of rattle off who i think this should be the winner of this episode on comebacks, And I do think it's fascinating because all the things that do motivate people returning to the, the arena of battle after being gone. Here's who I think should win. So I really love Pee-wee Herman as a choice. <coughs> he was somebody who was a seminal character. And I think like the Richard Nixon uh, choice, he's somebody who, when Pee-wee Herman first came out, he was a creepy, weird children's host. Right. And then he became more mainstream and accepted. Yeah. Like the early groundlings. Yeah. He was yeah. like creepy. It's like, he's a, intentionally, yeah. Intentionally creepy. So like Richard Nixon, we were all right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, he, we, there was something weird about this guy. So when he does get uh, um, caught red handed, so to speak, so to speak, then we all kind of nod our heads. Like, yeah, we always thought there was something up with that guy. Um, and I love that you both chose the Elvis comeback special. <coughs> and I do think there is a little bit of a through line between Pee-wee and Elvis um, in that they both have this nostalgia. Pee-wee definitely was a character who harkened back to 50s nostalgia. And uh, Elvis himself was kind of hearkening back to that in his comeback special. That was a neat little crossover. Then from here on out, it's all about the Richard. Mm-hmm. It's all about Manfredi. I did enjoy the Michael Jackson choice and all the reasoning behind it, because it did paint such an interesting picture of this very um, damaged person who became went from being this very twisted, damaged person to the one considered one of the most amazing, glowing, charismatic figures on the planet, and then to see him fall again, and then posthumous idea that. Um, give it some time and we'll forgive all ills and that will put you back into this high pedestal. And then the Bjorn Borg narrative was just so interesting because it just reminded me of everybody's uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Are everybody. you saying he's Uncle Rico? That he, he could hit that tennis ball <laughs> over that mountain? <laughs> but it does seem like that guy kind of, you know, after the divorce, kind of looking through his closet trying to find a shirt that, you know, looks good and <laughs> <in, laughs> heading back for one last hustle. Um, oh, coach 70s. just put me in. I would have made state. <laughs> Ooh. So thanks, guys, for coming with us on this journey. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of the oh, Matt I see, Rushmore podcast. See what you did there, oh, Jeff. it was so easy. I just had to do it. That's what uh, she said. Ah, oh, yes. Wrong episode, guys. Oh, come, shit. Comebacks like plenty. This has been Matt Rushmore. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. I'm Jeff.